0: Visit RobertHalf.com today.
1: And just like that, we've come full circle. Fade Cooper Cup at your own. Risk. Welcome into Fantasy Football Today, DFS on Tuesday, February 15th. I am Frank Stanville, joined by Mike McClure and Sienna Ajad. Today on the podcast, we're going to recap the Super Bowl from a betting and a DFS perspective. We'll take a look at our showdown lineups, the ones that perform best, and we will evaluate those. And then later on, we will uh, talk some lessons learned just in the DFS uh, season this entire year. You know, things that we learned in maybe cash games, GBPs, stacking uh, from a strategy perspective. We'll, We'll hit on a few different things there. Uh, But I think we're gonna have some fun here. Uh, It's sadly. I mean the NFL season is over right like we talked about this last week It's it's bittersweet because it's like this culmination of hard work and all these different events throughout the course of the season But unfortunately it is over and the Rams are your world champions winning by a final score of 23 to 20 ya. overall thoughts on the game What do you think here between the Rams and the Bengals this past weekend?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure the better team won in terms of the gameplay on the field. I I thought it was kind of a sloppy game when it comes down to it. I think there is an explanation on the Rams side for that. I think that Odell Beckham injury was really massive. I mean, really more important than most onlookers think. And um, that, I think, contributed to just a very sputtering offensive performance on, on the Rams side. The running game was not what I expected it to be. I thought the Bengals would be way more susceptible to the running game, whether that be Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, or Sony Michelle. But yeah, I mean, you know, the Rams are a very good team. I mean, it, we, we could do a whole nother podcast as to whether or not they're the best team in the NFL this year. I kind of think they're not, but that's another conversation for another day, but it doesn't really matter. They're world champions. And I guess everybody is now talking about whether, you know, Matt Stafford is a, is a hall of fame quarterback. I guess that's the new talk show kind of deal, which is just kind of funny to me. But anyway, the point is it was a good game, not a great game. I'm glad it was close. And I'm very sad that football season is over.
1: Yeah. I think we see this in all sports that the best team doesn't always win. It, it feels like it should work that way, but it doesn't, you know, there's whoever's hottest at the right time. Obviously we see that more so in like baseball. I feel like, you know, if a team just gets hot, they can you know, go all the way to the world series uh, football. I mean, it, it's, More often than not, I think it's a truer test of of the most talented teams and obviously coaches on the field, Uh, but yeah, overall, I I don't know. I I don't think that the Rams and the Bengals were probably the the two best teams this year in the NFL, but hey, they made it here nonetheless, and maybe it depends on who you were rooting for or, or who you bet on in this game, but... See, I actually kind of felt that the the Rams were the better team, more so in the second half. I guess like the Bengals got off to this awesome start in the second half, and then there was just a bunch of complacency, and it it felt like you know whether that was due to their offensive line uh, struggling. Obviously, six sacks in the second half for the Rams definitely helped them out. But yeah, I kind of felt like you know down the stretch the Rams were the better team, and and ultimately that's why they won this game. Mike, what do you think? Overall thoughts on the game, the Super Bowl here? Who was the better team? Is Matthew Stafford a Hall of Famer? I think probably not. You know, Hall of very good. Sure. Famer. (laughs) Probably not.
0: Yeah, that one's tough. Uh, I think that he certainly made a case to be in the conversation. Uh, We'll see if he can do it again at some point. We'll see if he can have any level of success again. I think that that's what I personally would need to see for him to get there. But uh, heck of a performance from him. It really hurt losing Odell Beckham. Uh, You talked about the better team, not better team. The, the Rams defense was the best team on the field, despite getting burnt deep. One play obviously looked like an offensive pass interference that led to a touchdown that that wasn't called. But other than that, like you, we have to remember he was throwing to Ben Skoranek in the second <laughs> half, that interception off of Skoranek's hands, like completely his fault, not had nothing to do with Matthew Stafford whatsoever. Like, He just was an uphill battle for them. Uh, It's really kind of amazing that they were able to win that game without Odo Beckham. And the reason they won that game, as great as Cooper Cup was, as great as Matthew Stafford was, was because of the pass rush from the Rams, in my opinion. I I think it's as simple as that. Uh, That was the best unit in the game. We kind of all thought that was the best unit on the field in, in the game, ahead of the game. And I think that that's what we saw. And that's the reason why they won the game.
1: Yeah, and for what it's worth, I actually thought that Bengals defense played very well for the entire game as well. I mean, leading up to this point, they were great at turnover differential, which is something I mentioned as, you know, maybe the only matchup advantage. It's not really sticky from game to game, but they forced two more interceptions here on Matthew Stafford. They sold out to stop the run, and they did exactly that, you know. Nobody was able to run for the Rams. Cam Akers, Daryl Henderson, Sony Michelle. no matter who they threw back there, uh, they sold out to stop the run, and, and they did a great job of doing it. But overall, it was just too much Cooper Cup in the end, too much Matthew Stafford, and, of course, the the Rams defense, uh, sacking Joe Burrow six times again in the second half there. So shout-out to the Rams. You're, uh, I was about to say, World Series champions. It's just <laughs> this crossover of, I'm doing so many baseball podcasts right now, and then to, to hop over to football again, it's just... Man, my head is all over the place. The Super Bowl champions, Los Angeles Rams, very well deserved. See, so yeah, the bigger question: thoughts on the halftime show, man? I mean, this was—I truly think that there are there are very rare times that things get hyped up, at, at, like and live up to the expectation, right? So, I mean, everyone's ranting and raving about how awesome it was, and it really was that awesome. I, I felt like it was every thirty to forty-year-old male's dream in that in that <laughs> yeah. halftime show, and, and it was awesome.
2: So it was, you know, what's really interesting is while it was happening live, me and Mike were on the early edge watching it as we were doing kind of a live watch party for the early edge sports line, CBS sports, you name it. So um, the interesting thing is I had it on mute, of course, as we were doing that watch party. So I was able to actually watch it twice because I watched it with the, the music and everything actually last night. And just the sheer optics of it, when I was watching it on mute, I was really impressed by all the sets, all like the little rooms that they were traveling in and out of. I thought it was really cool just to actually watch it on mute. And then when I actually heard the singing or whatever it was, lip syncing or whatever, the actual performance, I was even more impressed. In fact, I walked away from that thinking to myself, wow, that's even better than I thought it was going to be. And I thought it was going to be really good. So super cool. I was very impressed.
1: Yeah, my only complaint is is that it wasn't long enough. I know we had what four or five six different artists that had to get some songs in there. But man, I, I wish we actually uh, got more from the halftime show. And I don't remember ever saying that at any point in my life. So shout out to all those performers. I thought they did a great job. Mike, um, how long do you think 50 Cent was hanging upside down before they actually like <laughs> panned down to him? It's I, poor guy, man.
0: Yeah, poor guy for sure. Um, you know, he's it was a good performance. So I love the halftime show. Like you, my only complaint was it wasn't long enough. Um, yeah, I, I they could have played for an hour and I think everyone would have been happy.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was great. I know a lot of people will bring up uh, Prince singing Purple Rain in the rain. That's obviously one of the best halftime shows as well. But uh, yeah, shout out to everyone. They 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 came, they brought it. Uh, it was really cool. Um, I've had a lot of fun with just the game, and, and of course the the halftime show as well. It's going to be a tough act to follow, I'll tell you that. I, I wouldn't want to be the halftime show next year because man, it's just comparisons. Uh, out, you know, a lot of a lot of comparisons are going to be made before we get further into it. Uh, do want to apologize once again? We did not fill our FFT DFS contest and. We got overzealous, uh, admittedly. Myself, you know, making this contest 200 people, that's on me. So apologies to those who had strong lineups. You know, Cooper Cup, captain lineups. T. Higgins, captain lineups. It's our first season. Obviously, it's a learning experience. uh, So we know things that we need to improve on moving into next year. And that's why... These guys gave us a B plus grade last week. So, you know, look, there's room to grow and things to improve on. So, again, apologies. We appreciate all of your support. And to anyone out there all season long who joined our contest, listened to the podcast, watched the podcast, we really do appreciate all you guys. And and it's really been a a truly fun first season. So we wouldn't be able to do it without you guys. I just wanted to get that out of the way uh, and apologize for for not having that contest run.
2: And Frank, just like, just to be clear, we we actually fell too short. And and, and I I think we got to like 198. And we're like, Oh, my gosh, we still need two more. So there's a couple points I want to make one is, uh, and I know Mike was discussing this with us uh, yesterday. You know, not everybody showdown isn't for everybody. You know, the two game slate and showdown, those are vastly different types of analysis and types of fun, you know, for people. So I, I kind of get why some people might have wanted to, to skip out, but we were very close. And I, and I do want to say this. I got some private messages, you know, like on Twitter, uh, some Twitter messages from people who really had a lot of success. And I, I'm not going to read this one verbatim, but I happen to be looking at it now. It's from a gentleman by the name of Steven, who's a big fan of our show, apparently. And he basically just said, thank you. your pod, Your last pod really helped me a lot and he actually had T. Higgins in the captain's spot. He won a ton of money. He actually almost had an outright win for thousands and thousands of dollars. Wow. He ended up finishing 22nd in a very large contest. His lineup was Higgins, Cooper Cup, Matt Stafford, Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, and he specifically said he listened to Mike's advice regarding that sixth spot in terms of just throwing somebody random in like a Chris Evans. Well, he ended up throwing Bryson Hopkins in there as his sort of random, <laughs> hey, maybe he yeah. gets some run play. And of course, that really worked out for him. And by the way, Chris Evans got a catch too. So, you know, those types of things can happen in games like this or really in any game. So even though we didn't have a contest, that wasn't the only message I got, by the way. It does appear that some people listen to our podcast and did make some money outside of, you know, our contest, which, which didn't uh, come off. So th- I just wanted to thank everybody for sending those messages, for tweeting at us all season. Uh, I can tell you this person, right after he sent me the message, did an Apple podcast review. So we obviously, uh, if, if you have five seconds to do that and hit five stars and you know write a line or two, that's great too. But I just wanted to send that out to everybody. We really appreciate you being a part of this whole endeavor.
1: Look, as much as we want to win money and have successful DFS lineups ourselves, obviously we want everyone out there who's listening and watching this to have uh, successful lineups as well and make some money. That's what it's all about. It's not just about us and we want to give the best advice that we can and I I feel like we really did a good job of of doing that throughout the course of the season. So shout out to everyone who watched uh, and enjoyed all season long. Chris Evans, man, could have had a monster game, too. Joe Burrow overthrew him down the right sideline. I was like the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I was like pointing at my TV. I was like, Mike, Mike, Chris Evans. He could have done it. He almost did. So, uh, man, yeah, that could have been a lot of fun as well. Let's uh, let's jump into the Super Bowl recap. We'll first talk about how he did from a betting perspective, and then we'll take a look at our lineups as well. I wound up going 6-6, six and six, which on the surface... Doesn't sound great. I had a live bet on the Bengals once they went down a touchdown. I was like, yeah, I like the Bengals anyway to win the game. I'm, I'm going to jump in. I'm going to do it live. We'll do it live. Uh, so I did that. Um, so that was not great. But overall, up four units. Hit on the Odell Beckham first touchdown, which uh, was a lot of fun. A bunch of my friends, like, we all did Odell Beckham first touchdown, so we're freaking out. That was cool. And my biggest bet was uh, Bengals plus four and a half. And, and so that obviously hit. I had some on the money line, but... You know, obviously that did not so overall it was uh I think it was a solid betting weekend from a Super Bowl perspective Mike how about you how'd you do
0: great weekend uh 3 and0 on all the full unit plays that I made nice. uh mixing under 95 and a half there that was my favorite play. I, it got much closer than I thought, and it got much closer through the rushing yards, which was not something I was expecting. So I definitely dodged a bullet by playing the combo and not playing the under on the rushing yards. Uh, and then my biggest play was a parlay on the game. I took the Rams money line. I had the Bengals plus 14 and a half and I had the over 35 and a half total points in the game paid plus plus one sixty two. That was my favorite uh, play of the week. I gave that one out well over a week before the game even started. Um, yeah, it ended up really nice. And then on early edge live caught Cooper cups, live number uh, at 87 and a half. He finished with 92. Hmm. Uh, so, Got a little a little fortunate there as well. Uh, really helped that they kind of fell behind in the game uh, and had to force feed Cooper Cup at the end of it. So got a little lucky with them, but it was very, very good for me.
1: Yeah, I was right there with you. that Joe Mixon pick under 90. I got it 95 and a half. I think it closed closer to 90 and a half total yards, but five receptions for one receiving yard. That will definitely get it done. Thank you, <laughs> Joe Mixon, for uh, your inefficiency in the receiving game. See, how was the betting weekend for you?
2: It was pretty terrible. I got to be honest. So I had the Mixon under rushing prop, which of course, you know, it it was really interesting because I don't know if you guys remember Joe Burrow, it looked like he snapped his knee again, you know, hopefully his knee is okay. But immediately the next drive, I mean, everybody would have been able to see that the next drive, of course, they're going to run the ball consecutive times to give Mixon some sort of, not Mixon, Burrow, some sort of breather. And those happen to be, I think the two longest rushes or two of the three longest rushes that Mixon had of like 14 and 15 yards. He doesn't get one of those. And you know, the under comes in. So that was unfortunate. I had Samaj P. Ryan over eight and a half receiving yards. Obviously that didn't come in partly because Chris Evans got some work, frankly. And then I also had T. Higgins over five and a half receptions. He had a great game, like I expected, but it was mostly through you know a couple long passes, got in the end zone twice, but he didn't get the five and a half receptions I was expecting. And then to add insult to injury, I had the Rams minus four. So that didn't work out. Some good news, I did give out Jamar. This wasn't an official play on the early edge, but on fantasy football today, I, uh, Frank, I know you were on with them. Last week, I was as well with Dave and Jamie and Adam. And I gave out that Jamar Chase over rushing prop, which I believe came in. And uh, I did have a live Rams play on the early edge. I I bet the Rams, as soon as Burrow looked like he had injured his knee really badly, I went ahead with a Rams money line bet. So uh, all in all, it wasn't terrible. But unfortunately, the plays I gave out, they did not hit.
1: Man, you know what's so interesting too? And I guess this this goes further into just, I guess, betting philosophy and just where the NFL is at right now, but how do you figure out, Sia, whether to play a reception prop or a receiving yardage prop? I feel like that's one of the toughest things to figure out when you have a player that you like in T. Higgins because, like you said, he clears his receiving yardage number easily. You know, obviously helped out by that uh, missed offensive pass interference call, but four for 102 touchdowns. Like, What goes into your thought process when deciding whether or not you want to go over receptions or over receiving yards?
2: Well, it was really the scheme that the Rams run. They play a lot of zone, a lot of cover three. And I thought, especially with CJ Uzama, you know, hurting, I didn't think he was actually going to play. He ended up playing on a limited basis, like not, not, not a super surprise there. But I thought T. Higgins was going to be the safety blanket down the middle of the field, down the seam, not take over the tight end role, but almost simulate it from a route standpoint. And... I, I guess I was wrong, ultimately, because he was lining up on the outside quite a bit and running some of those traditional wide receiver routes, but that's that's where the analysis came in. I thought they were going to keep T. Higgins and Jamar Chase underneath them in terms of the Rams' defense, so therefore he piles up the catches but doesn't necessarily pile up the yards.
1: Man, I'll tell you what, from a dynasty perspective, fantasy football, if you've got T. Higgins or Jamar Chase or Joe Burrow or any combination of those, You should feel really good because uh, I think they're in pretty damn good hands. Those guys are all awesome. Uh it actually could have been a better day for me too. Uh, on the day of, I was like, I need more action, which is just like, don't ever do that. That that's like (laughs) probably like discipline and betting 101. It's like, even if it's the Super Bowl, just, just don't do that. Kendall Blanton, I took him over 29 and a half. And I I took the over total field goal. So I didn't go with the individual kickers, which mm. is something I did like last week, but I went over three and a half total field goals in the game. And of course it winds up with just three and I'm, I'm rooting for the Bengals to drive down the field, kick a field goal. Let's go into overtime. The The possibility of the Bengals winning that game. Ultimately it doesn't happen. Uh, and man, Kendall Blanton like hurts his shoulder early in the game. Bryson Hopkins, you mentioned the name earlier. See ya third string tight end comes in, clears this number with ease. Four catches, 47 yards on four targets. It's just very frustrating, Mike. Uh, do you have any further points that you'd like to make about discipline, and maybe even in the biggest spots, not adding more bets the day of just because you know it's fun.
0: Yeah, so and it's kind of confusing though because we're on a you know a DFS podcast, it's a Super Bowl, but like they're drastically different. Uh, in yep. you know, and it frustrates a lot of people too, especially providing content, right? But like on the betting side your biggest motivation should be to beat the market, get the number as quickly as possible. Like when you're betting NFL, if today is Sunday, I should be getting ready to fire for next week. If I can, that's when you're going to get the best numbers. Most of the time, Mm -hmm. if it's playing DFS and it's Tuesday, like I, I'm, I should be setting everything in DFS on a Sunday morning, right? You mm-hmm. should, they're drastically different. You're highly incentivized to wait as long as possible in DFS and you're highly incentivized to go very early in the betting market. So it can kind of get a little confusing if you're used to playing DFS all the time. You want to go in the day of the game, go try and bet the game. You're obviously going to get a worse number in most of those instances. Uh, so I guess something to keep in mind for those of you out there, um, if you're trying to do both, Try to get on the betting side as early as possible. And on the fantasy side, wait and gather as much information as you can because the prices don't change.
1: All right, before we actually get into our DFS lineups from last week, this is a crazy combo, but look, so much needs to happen in the offseason. Free agency, NFL draft, there's going to be a QB carousel, so on and so forth. But any early leans, it's never too early. Super Bowl 57 futures, the top five odds via Caesars. The Kansas City Chiefs are plus 700, the Bills plus 750, the Rams plus 1,000, the 49ers plus 1,400, and the Bengals are plus 1,400 as well. Put a bow on this betting conversation. See ya. any leans out there? Those are the top five odds or maybe a team a little bit further down, you know, New York Jets plus 20,000. Do they interest <laughs> you?
2: <laughs> yeah, I have a I have a lean. I mean, before I, I even looked at these odds, uh, I mean, I'll just go ahead and give you my, my Super Bowl for next year it's the, and and this is, I, I'm going to say this as fact because everybody will forget it, you know, 11 months from now. But I genuinely think the two best teams in the league next year are going to be the Buffalo Bills and the San Francisco 49ers. That's who I expect to meet in the Super Bowl. If you're looking at odds and you're looking at value, I suppose the plus 1400 for San Francisco is decent. It's really all about the Trey Lance experiment. I think Kyle Shanahan can kind of rein him in and sort of allow him to learn while on the job because he does have a lot of learning to do. But uh, those are those are my two favorites. Uh, wh- whether you should bet on them is a different conversation, but th- that's who I like. And I'll say this again. I say this now, and I actually believe it, but hopefully everybody forgets when it blows up in my face 11 months from now. But I don't think the Rams are going to make the playoffs next year. And if they do, they sneak into a wild card. I don't think this team, as constituted two days ago, is going to be the team that we're going to see next year. And even if it is, I see a lot of regression potentially coming with them.
1: All right, yeah, you know what's so interesting about not only the Rams, but the other teams you mentioned as well, see the Bills and the 49ers, is that all of them have lost parts of their coaching staff. So we're going to have to see where they go next, how they adjust to that. Josh Allen playing in a new offense. What's that going to look like? Uh, The 49ers, they lost their uh, either... QB coach or offensive coordinator as well. Obviously, Shanahan runs everything there anyway, but it, all of these teams are going to have to make adjustments. Um, the, the Rams, they lost their offensive coordinator. They lost another assistant as well. Von Miller is a free agent. Odell Beckham is a free agent. There's been talk this already this offseason. Aaron Donald, Sean McVeigh, can they hang it up? And These are all things that we're going to find out over the next couple of months, but eh, just a little fun conversation to have here and try and figure out uh, who we like heading into next season. Mike, It's way too early. It's February 15th. Do you have any futures here in terms of Super Bowl
0: 57 that you like? I do. Um, Obviously, the the AFC, I think it's, I shouldn't say very clearly because a lot of teams can win it, but It's got to be Buffalo and Kansas City. Like, I hope that's the AFC game we get in the AFC title game. Uh, But in the NFC, it's super interesting here. Uh, One I will mention, I'm just going to mention the Packers still at plus 1,600. Uh, The odds are too far off if Rodgers is able to return to that situation. Um, I would make them a pretty clear favorite. I would make them favorite over the Cowboys at that spot. But if that doesn't happen, which that price point kind of tells me it may not happen with Rodgers being back there, I like the Saints plus 3,500 on the New Orleans Saints. The reason why is we've got quarterbacks on the move all over and Denver keeps being mentioned as one of the spots that's highlighted, right? If I am a legitimate quarterback like that, Denver is the last place I want to go. I know that they have a good defense, but why would I want to play in the same division as Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert? At this time, like it doesn't sound fun, not to mention someone like that in the NFC going to the AFC. Now they've got to deal with uh, Lamar Jackson. Now they've got to deal with Joe Burrow still. They've got to deal with Josh Allen. Uh, I think it's a a little bit of a long shot here, but the Saints, uh, they've been good enough defensively at times. Tom Brady's gone. The Bucs aren't very good at this point unless they can replace him. Uh, The division is weak, so they could put themselves in a favorable playoff spot. I will most likely with again. I talked off the air with you guys with this. I'm not going to actually go invest in it, but I, I get lots of free bets from you know playing volume throughout the season. So when you get awarded some of those free bets, that this right here is something that's perfect to use it on. But look out for the Saints. They are a team that I will for sure be betting to make they pl- the playoffs next year.
1: All right, plus um, 3500 is to win the Super Bowl next year for the New Orleans Saints plus 1600 to win their respective conference. So, I mean either way, I mean if you think they're going to wind up playing the the Bills or or the Chiefs or you're just worried about that AFC team, you could obviously look yeah. at conference winner as well this early on. And I agree with you, Mike. We were talking beforehand. I think if you if you're looking at Super Bowl futures now, you probably want to look at an NFC team for all the reasons that you mentioned. The Rams have a lot of things to figure out. No more Tom Brady in the NFC as well. So I think those things, obviously, yeah, you know, impact this tremendously. So we'll we'll see what happens in the NFC. Uh, I do think that there's enough quarterbacks to go around right now, like between Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and and Deshaun Watson. Where if one of those guys winds up on the Broncos, you know, plus twenty two hundred right now, I think those odds w- would jump quite a bit. So. Kind of interested, but I, I hear you more so on the NFC side of things. The Cowboys plus sixteen hundred, the Cardinals plus twenty five hundred, are also teams that I'm kind of interested in. I just I don't think that their coaches are good enough. I think they're they're held back in in that regard. And I believe the Super Bowl is held in Arizona next year. So it is. three years in a row, can we see a team in the Super Bowl in their on their home field? Yeah, I, I think it's a possibility
2: Frank, with the Cardinals. The hottest ticket in town will be the plane ticket towards Phoenix next year. And that's because not only is the Super Bowl there, but the waste management Phoenix Open, <laughs> which really to the extent people don't know what that is, they they probably found out this weekend because it really is a spectacle. It's a great thing. It's it's a great event to bet on and watch and all of those things as well. But both of those things are going to take place in Arizona near the same location. So book your tickets and hotels early everybody because that is going to be a tough ticket to book.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break. But first, we do have a programming update for the offseason. After this specific podcast, we're going to go into a bit of a hiatus for the offseason. I have a lot of fantasy baseball responsibilities. Obviously, C and Mike have a bunch of responsibilities as well. Uh, But as we get closer to the start of the season, you know, as we pass through free agency, the NFL draft, uh, you know, maybe around April, May, we'll, we'll return. We'll talk offseason strategy, maybe some best ball content. We could talk some future betting as well. Uh, but just to give you an idea of where the timeline is at after today's podcast, we're going to take a month or two off and then we will return for some more strategy discussion throughout the course of the offseason. When we return, we're going to take a look at our DFS showdown lineups from this past weekend here on Fantasy Football Today DFS. All right, so let's recap some of these lineups and we will start with your lineup here, Sia. For those watching us live on YouTube, we're going to throw the lineups up like we did throughout the course of the regular season. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already, youtube.com slash fantasyfootballtoday. Sia, you put up 119.22. You had Joe Burrow in this lineup with both T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd. You had T. Higgins in the captain spot. Cooper Cup, Odell Beckham, and Daryl Henderson on the other side of this game. And I really do think that Daryl Henderson, even at his price point, I think he was the key to the slate. He scored eight DraftKings points. He was only $1,600. He played 32% of the snaps. He had three catches for 43 yards on five targets, which was tied for third most on the Rams this past weekend. I know it sounds crazy because he only scored eight points, but at his price point, see, I think that Daryl Henderson was needed in winning lineups.
2: Yeah, it certainly helped to have Daryl Henderson at 1,600. And by the way, he could have had a much better game. I mean, he, you know, he he was missed on a couple uh, receptions or a couple passes from Stafford, and he probably should have been in the game a lot more. Um, Cam Akers was just so inefficient. He didn't look like he had really any burst for whatever reason. So, you know, this lineup is okay. It's not like I I was actually going to, show you a Cooper cup in the captain lineup as well, which was probably a little bit more properly correlated, but because T Higgins was my captain pick on, on my cheat sheet. And because I had him at captain more than really anybody else, I did want to have this one up here. So, you know, I jammed in T Higgins at captain and I, and and I had Cooper cup, obviously, you know, I wanted, I had Tyler Boyd because I couldn't afford Jamar chase. So I have Joe Burrow with his two pass catchers and Henderson. I think the problem with this lineup is I had two pass catchers for the Rams as well. And so you, you know, you're going to be hard-pressed to have an outright here without Matt Stafford and his two pass catchers. So I probably could have finagled this one a little differently. Uh, but nonetheless, it ended up cashing. And frankly, if Odell Beckham was healthy for four quarters instead of a quarter and a half, obviously this could have done a lot more damage. Did it have outright potential, though? You know, I'd, lo- I'd love Mike's opinion on this because I think the answer to that is no. I think I, I actually made a mistake in this lineup. But again, I wanted to show this lineup because... I had T Higgins in captain, and that was important for me to put up there.
1: All right, Mike, you are our showdown aficionado here on the podcast. Did this lineup have potential to take home an outright? And did you personally get to Daryl Henderson in any of your lineups?
0: Uh, I did not get to Daryl Henderson. Um, I talked about him on Sportsline's early Edge show live, basically wanting to play him live. At that point, he looked great when he was in the game, especially in the passing game. But uh, I did not get to him. As far as the lineup, so the lineup was good. It did not have the potential to win outright. I mean, it obviously could have tied and chopped, you know, and had, it, it would have been a lineup that was likely duplicated still at that point, which is fine. Uh, you know, it's very hard to get different in a one game with this many entries, uh, but it's a very good lineup, very high floor, uh, really captures all the players that you wanted to have. So I, I like it. And, you know, while the goal is obviously to, to win the entire tournament, there's absolutely nothing wrong with cashing lineups.
1: Yeah, there certainly is not. Actually, I I wish that I cashed in a few more of my lineups. That would have been nice this past weekend. And you know what? I should have known about Daryl Henderson too. Right before the game started, I was at a Super Bowl party. My dad was there too. I look over to him and he says, You know, I played a bunch of Daryl Henderson today. I said, What? You played Daryl Henderson? You gave us Sony Michelle last week as your sneaky pick on the podcast. What are you doing? And I guess, you know, more information came out over the course of the weekend, yeah. but he got to Daryl Henderson and, and there you go. That We should have known, man. At that point, I was like, well, it's too late. Can't change up my lineups now. Game's about to start, and the Don had a bunch of Daryl Henderson in his lineup. So shout out to him. Unfortunately, he did give us Sony Michelle. So I don't want to give him too much credit, but it was fun. It was fun to hear that. I was like, how did you like? How do you know these things? How do you how do you get to Daryl Henderson of all people? It was just it was very interesting for me to uh, to see that happen. Mike, you put up one eighteen point four seven in your lineup, and you go with Matthew Stafford and four of his pass catchers, including Cooper Cup who was in the captain spot here. You had Odell Beckham, you had Van Jefferson, you had Ben Skoranek, and of course, you brought it back with T. Higgins, who was the correct Cincinnati Bengal to have in your lineup. And given the Odell Beckham injury, it's a little bit, bit of give, give and take, because obviously, you know, you have him in there, you want him to perform well, but once he gets hurt, you have to be thinking to yourself, all right, well, there's a chance that Jefferson or Ben Skoranek could step up here and have a pretty massive game. Unfortunately, all of that production went to Cooper Cup.
0: Yeah, it all went to Cooper Cup. And I want to quickly say just, you know, I I said Cia's lineup had no, not, didn't say no potential, but it wasn't going to win an outright. This one was never going to either. Um, The correct play on this lineup. So this is obviously a computer generated lineup for me. Um, Say what you want about that. But it is something that I generated with the computer. If this lineup were to like really win and take down an entire tournament, it would have had to have been a Matthew Stafford um, captain lineup with that many of his receivers. It, it would have needed, you know, Jefferson or Skoronic or both of them to get touchdowns. And if that were the case, Stafford's number probably four to five touchdowns. Um, so that's just besides the point. But uh, yeah, I was very heavy on the Rams and DFS. I ended up fading the Rams running game completely. And because I did that, I thought that they'd be throwing the football more. So that's kind of why that happened. And then I, I was very clear about, uh, I'm going to fade Jamar Chase and, when I'm fading Jamar Chase, we, we love T. Higgins at that point, and that's really the only Bengal that I really got to. Um, I played a little bit of Burrow and then McPherson, but the only three bengals I really played were T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, and Evan McPherson. So right there with Sia on Odo Beckham, really would have liked to have seen him. You know, we mentioned the Jefferson and Skoranek thing should have benefited from Odo Beckham. They really didn't. Uh, I, I think that the overall score of this lineup still would have been higher if Odo Beckham had just finished the game. Um, so while they were, they were in there, it was really just about banking on the Rams offense, uh, scoring some points and fading everyone, but T Higgins, who I, I loved.
1: Yeah. Uh, I will point out that in the three lineups that we're going to show here, mine coming up in just a little bit, no cam acres, but see, I know that you did play him, uh, quite a bit in DFS. And do you think that there was, you know, anything we could have done differently, maybe from our, our, our process in terms of knowing that he would have the game that he did, or that maybe Daryl Henderson would be as involved as he was in the Super Bowl.
2: No, not at all. And anything with respect to playing Sony or Daryl Henderson would have been entirely speculative. And, and it's it's because, listen, I mean you could have looked at the game before and said, hey, well, Cam Akers didn't get a lot of rushes relative to Sony Michelle. It was, it was, it was one of those things where it almost looked like a split share, but that really was because of a shoulder injury. And you have to keep in mind the D you know, as inefficient as as Cam Akers was the prior two to three games, it was because he was going up against really bad, really good rush defenses. I mean, San Francisco um, I'm trying to think of the other one before that game, but they went up against really good rush defenses. And then finally he gets a breather with the Cincinnati Bengals rush defense, who was allowing four and a half yards per carry. His, his yards per carry was trending up as well. Now, listen, if you wanted to fade Cam Akers and bet against him, I totally get that because three running backs were active and you weren't exactly sure who was going to get the ball. I understand that. But if you were going to pick a running back, yeah, you could throw the dart with a 1600 Daryl Henderson. But there were a lot of outcomes that would have suggested that offensive line would have moved the defensive line back, which didn't happen, and that Cam Akers would be the beneficiary of a majority of the carries. So I don't think the process was bad. It just, and it just ended up that Sean McVay really was trying to go with the hot hand, so he was going to experiment with everybody. And for the record, with Odell Beckham getting injured, now you don't have to respect the pass nearly as much. So now you can kind of suck up towards the line of scrimmage, put an extra man in the box. Just to be clear on that Odell Beckham injury, Stafford was 10 of 12 for 140 yards and two touchdowns prior to his injury. After his injury, which was, by the way, the majority of the game, he was 16 for 28 for 143 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. If Odell stays in that game, there is a very good chance that either Cam Akers or Dale Henderson score way more fantasy points. As unimpressive as they looked, they probably would have scored a lot more.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I don't know that there's anything that we could have done differently. I think the shoulder was probably more of an issue than they let on. And, you know, we had information that he was dealing with that injury mm-hmm. throughout the course of the week and that, you know, he was a little bit limited in practice. So I think that's probably the main takeaway is that the shoulder injury in conjunction with three running backs being active, I think at that point, sure, if you wanted to fade Cam Akers, but the salary, it was it was pretty good. It was pretty good mm-hmm. for, for Cam yeah. Akers. So I think in that spot, you know, you can't really beat yourself up too much about it. What do you think, Mike?
0: Yeah, so the salary is the only thing that kind of would counteract my point here. Um, what we can do in an isolated game like the Super Bowl is you can really leverage the betting market because the betting market is open for so long. And we know in Super Bowls, props typically only go up. If you watch both Cam Akers' number and Joe Mixon's number, they tanked throughout the week. And the weeks leading up to it, uh, that's just one... It, like. it decent indicator, right? The, that market should be relatively efficient, especially at that point as you have the most money coming in. Um, so just things to watch. It's ultimately what took me off of Joe Mixon completely where early in the week, uh, even though I personally was on that under, I wasn't necessarily expecting the market to move exactly with me. I, I thought it'd be a scenario where I'd bet it, it'd drop a number or two. And then by game day, it'd come right back up because numbers trend up towards game day in the Super Bowl. Didn't happen like that. And when it didn't happen like that, That took me off of using Mixon as like a flyer in the captain spot and things like that. So it's something to remember and stick away for games that we have a little bit longer lead in or less games. So like when we get to the playoffs next year, really look at things like that. Get to the Super Bowl next year, really look at things like that. If you find players in those games where you have more money, fewer games, which makes it more efficient, if you find players that player props are just tanking on, Probably a pretty good indicator that you might want to slow down uh, on playing them in DFS. And then at this point, if you're still worried about it, simply take their over, right? Because the over is still a median type number that doesn't necessarily mean they have to score a touchdown. And at that point, you obviously would have lost this week. But in the future, if you're on the fence about it, I personally would fade them in DFS, play the lower-owned guy, and then if you have sportsbook access, go bet they're over. They can still hit their over by two or three yards, not going to kill you in DFS, and it's a win-win on both sides.
1: I think it's a really strong point that you make there, Mike, and it's something that I need to get better with, as a, as a DFS player, as as someone who is diving more into betting myself, and, and, you know, there might be some people listening to this podcast who maybe they don't have betting available to them yet. Obviously, you know, it's, it's becoming more available throughout the course of the United States, so on and so forth, but, look, there's a lot of crossover right now between DFS and betting, and I think using that to your advantage as a DFS player is... Is, de- is something you definitely want to look into doing. So I think it's a really, really strong point there that you make. And uh, we'll wrap up here with my lineup who uh, won me $2. How about that? Uh, I put up 114.9 here on DraftKings, loaded up on the best wide receivers in this game, T. Higgins in the captain spot, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, and Odell Beckham. And then I went with both kickers, Mike. So <laughs> I took your advice. I, I played the best pass catchers in this game the the highest volume pass catchers who also have massive upside I know that you guys were a little bit more weary here on Jamar Chase but uh, ultimately went with two kickers and four pass catchers what say you when it comes to the construction overall of this lineup I I mean I really just I don't know You, you tell me I mean is there is there any upside in a lineup like this
0: yeah, I mean, there's upside in it. The only, the one thing I would have done differently, which I don't remember the price points to get there. Um, if I were to play, like Cooper Cup is the one I can play in the captain spot without his quarterback. Uh, if I were to play T. Higgins in the captain spot, I would want to play Joe Burrow over Jamar Chase. I don't know if the salaries would have allowed it or not. Again, I don't remember what the price points were. I don't even know exactly where Joe Burrow scored. But in general, Higgins and Chase are going to be negatively correlated, just the way that offense works. Um, so the, the correlation there with Higgins, like cup can get to the captain spot because he's a high volume target. He can have the 10 catch 100 yard game with only one touchdown and, and Stafford because he might have only thrown one touchdown in the game, not get there with T Higgins, not necessarily the case. He's either going to get his on multiple catches or two touchdowns in the red zone kind of thing with low yardage, which would again, want you to have that quarterback. So the only thing I would have changed, which again, I don't know if you even could have based on the price point, but I would have tried to play Joe Burrow over Jamar chase, uh, in this specific lineup. And then as far as the kickers, Eight and six—not exactly what we wanted from him. McPherson's first game under—not uh, in double digits. However, go look at what they scored relative to the running backs and their price points, and they were better plays.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I don't know. See if you got to any lineups with both kick- kickers in it, but Mm-mm. you know, once you once you do that, it allows you to, to spend up for these other pass catchers here. So uh, I've never done it before, but I was like, hey, it's a Super Bowl. Let's try it out.
2: I mean, it cashed, but yeah. I, I definitely agree. You know, it, you know the two pass catchers on each team. I definitely would have tried to thread in a quarterback somewhere in there, probably for Jamar Chase, which I think you could have done. I'm, if if I recall, Burrow wasn't too much more expensive than Jamar Chase, so I I think maybe I would have gone that route and and maybe kicked one of the two kickers to the curb.
1: All right, yeah, I think it was might have been ten thousand six hundred for Burrow or ten thousand eight hundred. So it was close. I think it was either two or four hundred dollars more than. Jamar Chase, so might have been able to make that happen and, and something that we will uh, consider moving forward when playing showdown lineups. Let's wrap up with our DFS lessons from the season. Put a bow on this NFL season, our first season here at Fantasy Football Today, DFS. And look, the first lesson, first and foremost, I started the podcast with it. Fade Cooper Cup at your own risk, man. I <laughs> I mentioned it in the middle of the season. It kind of became the slogan for, for this entire NFL season, for this DFS season season. The guy was just ridiculous. And again, like these hyperbolic statements are thrown around. The best wide receiver season ever. It it really might be. I mean, he pulled off the receiving triple crown. He led the NFL in receptions, 145. Receiving yards, 1,947. And receiving touchdowns, 16. He added 33 more catches, 478 yards, and six touchdowns in the postseason alone. He was named first team All-Pro and Offensive Player of the Year, Super Bowl MVP, I didn't really get the luxury of watching like Jerry Rice growing up. I mean, I got to see some pretty awesome wide receivers, To and Rand, uh, Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson. But man, see, I I legitimately think this is in the running for potentially best wide receiver season ever by Cooper Cup, and, and we saw that reflected in his DFS usage as well.
2: Well, that's the thing. I mean, he was, you know, it's all about volume at the end of the day, and. No matter the situation, no matter how hard the situation was, they figured out a way to scheme Cooper Cup open. And when he wasn't open, he was just juking people out of their shoes because he's such a precise route runner. 191 targets. I mean, that's that's about 22 more than Devontae Adams, who, by the way, had 169, mm-hmm. which is a ton of targets. So when you're looking at – and by the way, Deontay Johnson had 169 as well, but not nearly with the upside of, of those mm-hmm. other two. But when you're looking at that type of target share, I mean, it's it's just – yeah, it, it's weird to say, but the thing about Cooper Cup that's so interesting, he he wasn't always chalky. And so I, I don't want to get into, like, I want you to give out kind of your lessons learned and then we'll go around the board. But it's kind of one of those things. One thing I'm going to mention is there were a lot of times, and Mike was really on top of this, when Mark Andrews or you know somebody like that was clearly like the best tight end on the slate. And people just didn't want to pay up for him because they wanted to pay down for a a cheap tight end. And so it was kind of the same thing with Cooper Cup. He wasn't always chalky. He was chalky most of the time. But it's kind of like, man, take advantage of it while you can because he's not prohibitively priced. And just, you know, find a way to get him in your lineup. Even when the price kept rising.
1: I mean, we're talking about someone who... Towards the end of the season, he was routinely over $9,000 on DraftKings, which is just a massive salary. But, I mean, for his target share, you're talking to someone 30-plus percent target share as efficiently as he's catching balls and scoring touchdowns. It's just, you know, it it made sense, Uh, especially in cash games. Like, that'll be something I talk about. I played a lot more cash games this year than than maybe expected. uh, But, man... Cooper Cup was was a key cog in, in cash game lineups and, and most lineups this past season. Mike, you are first up here, sir. Uh, you can add anything else that you'd like to on Cooper Cup, but uh, maybe a lesson or two that you learned this NFL season when playing DFS.
0: Well, we talk about correlations a lot, and one of the biggest correlations I had all year was liquid death. The weeks that we drank <laughs> liquid death, absolutely crushed it. Just absolutely crushed it. But no, um, one thing that's super important, I, I talk about it with people offline a lot, Consistency. Uh, I know there's going to be this, this message will hit home for a lot of listeners, probably maybe even for some of us, but it's important to try to play consistently every single week, because I know some of you out there might've had a bad week one week scale back your volume, crush it next week, look back. If I had played the entries that I had played the week before, I would have won $10,000, whatever it may be. I want to drive that point home because it is the most important. Try to budget and try to play consistently every single week. Because if you're following the process that we are laying out here, it's simply going to be about being there on the weeks that you're right. That is the majority of this game. You're not going to be right every week, but there are going to be three or four weeks of the season when you are very, very right. And you need to make sure that you're there and have the skin in the game on those weeks because those weeks will make or break your season. Second point I want to make, try to find single entry, three max entry contests. Going back and looking at all of my results there, I'm far and away better in those spots because it is very hard to win a multi-entry tournament. right? The score needed is significantly higher than that in a contest that only allows one to three entries. So that is something that I want to focus on because that I I think that's where the advice that we're giving and the things that people are able to take away, just talking to people that have listened to the show, that's where they've had a lot of their success. And then one more point I want to make because I see it a lot as well, Late swap. And one of my favorite ways to use late swap is I know a lot of you use and play tournaments and you wish that there was, I'll give an example. There's like a $3 or a $4 tournament every week. And then there's like a 20 or $25 tournament. Some of you are easily able to play the three, but not quite comfortable to play the 25. My best advice, and I, I do it every day in NBA myself, take that entry in the $3 and double up every lineup you have enter the same lineup twice, you're effectively making it a $6 tournament. Now you've got that lineup in there twice. If it's doing well or doing poorly, you can swap one of those two identical entries using late swap to get a little bit of differentiation to let the randomness work in your favor, whether again, you're having a great day or a poor day. But just because you're used to playing the $3 and you want to play a little more, you don't have to jump to the $25. You can enter the team three times, make it a $9 contest. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, and I wish more people would do it. So that's kind of... I think that's my main takeaways here uh, at this point. Yeah,
1: and I think all great ones too, specifically for late swap, putting questionable players in your lineup that play in the late games and then kind of building off of that. Based on what happens in the early games, obviously, there was very clearly... I remember a week earlier this season where Darren Waller was questionable. He was ruled out and a lot of sharp players jumped onto Foster Moreau and Moreau had a monster game. And then after that, Darren Waller missed all this time and it felt like we were chasing that Foster Moreau week and it it never really came to fruition. But there was that one week where Darren Waller, we didn't know whether he was going to play or not, but the sharp players used late swap to their advantage and they got... Foster Moreau in their lineup and they, and it paid off big dividends for them. So I think it's a really good point on late swap and also about consistency. It's very easy to get discouraged playing DFS. It happened to me earlier this year as well. I think like by week four or week five, I'm like, I host a DFS podcast. I'm playing terribly. What is going on? And I started thinking about, I'm like, you know, maybe I should just go over to another side and play on like Yahoo or FanDuel and, and, and put more volume there instead of DraftKings. And I'm like, you know what? Stick with the process. And hopefully, you know, things will will turn out better. And they did. I mean, the second half of the season was much, much better for me. And I never really scaled down. In fact, I went the other way. As I started to win more, I played these higher price point cash games, built up the bankroll a little bit. Then it allowed me to to play more volume and, uh, you know, upscale a little bit. So I would say, again, you're right, Mike. Consistency, stick with it. And don't just get discouraged. See, I know a lot of the times, something that you mentioned throughout the course of the season is that especially for you and Mike, you guys play more GPPs than I do, is that you're not going to win every week. But when you win, because you're taking the stances that you do, it's going to be a bigger win than maybe the average person or that you're used to seeing. So uh, get, like just don't get discouraged on those weeks where you lose, I think is a really strong point for DFS as well.
2: Yeah, and it, it all comes down to your sample size. Unfortunately, when it comes to betting and DFS and anything where you're leveraging you know, hard-earned money, you lose and that becomes your sample size, whatever, you know, that bet is your sample size or that week is your sample size. And unfortunately, that's just not from from a probability standpoint. That's just not how this works. Your sample size has to be long enough for your process to go from kind of the birthing stage to just going to and through fruition. And so sometimes it might be a full season before you actually get to see how your process Uh, progresses over, you know, 16, 17 weeks and through the playoffs. Now, ideally, you know, you're winning a a ton in between that, but like, you can't, even if you win big one week, that doesn't mean that your process was great. And it doesn't mean your sample size is accurate that because you won that one or two weeks in a row. So just give yourself some time. And this is advice in betting too. A lot of people chase their bad bet by making, you know, Twice the wager on on the next bet because they want to win it back real quick. Well, you you just created a sample size that you didn't need to create. You you could win that back with the next good bet instead of the next bet. So just kind of keep that in mind. This is something you know. Hopefully, people are going to be doing for many years. So make sure you create room to like let your process carry through.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right, Sia. Any takeaways that you had this season? Some lessons that you learned playing nfl dfs here in uh 2021 and 2022
2: a couple just kind of things to point out and a couple things that, that i learned uh one of them just kind of funny but um you know so we're always looking for high totals we're looking for volume of course you know high implied totals and things like that but when, when you look at a high total of, of like 54 points in like a, a chiefs game and you look at a high total of 54 points in let's say a rams game or a packers game or uh a Minnesota Vikings game, not all high totals are created equal in terms of picking, just randomly picking fantasy players. And what I mean by that is is you also want to look at concentrated target share. So the Devontae Adams example is a really good one and an obvious one. Same with the Rams, Cooper Cup, and even the Vikings with Justin Jefferson. And, and um, who am I forgetting? I'm at, thinking of Kirk at, Cousins, but Adam, Adam Thielen. Thielen. Yeah, yeah, of course. So that's just something to point out. Like some, some people will just jump to uh, the, like a high total without kind of thinking it through. Like are the are the targets you know concentrated? So an obvious point, but I think it's worth bringing up. I, I mentioned it before. Paying up for the tight end, people just still don't like to do it because they think they can get. away. And I'm I'm guilty of this too, by the way. They think they can get away with taking the low price option. And meanwhile, Mark Andrews is scoring two touchdowns and catching nine balls for 150 yards. So if you don't have that in in your you're in really bad shape on the slate. So don't be afraid to pay up for the premier tight end, whoever that might be on the slate. Um, beware of the low price, low floor play. I really victimized by myself with this a couple of times, probably in a row with like low grade jets. I'm trying to remember who, who it was at the time. Keelan like Cole. Ty Johnson. Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole. <laughs> Keelan Cole Jr., I believe, and, uh, and Ty Johnson, like in two out of three weeks, I decided to hammer them in because it created some room to to create better lineups in other places. And, you know, just be aware that there are some low floor plays that we found throughout the season, but you know, just be careful with who you pick and, and don't fall into groupthink just because a bunch of people think that guy's the one. You know, there's plenty of other guys that are of a similar price that that might pop out. And we, I think in, in this show, we do a good job of trying to point out those contrarian plays. And sometimes I know Mike talks about it very matter of factly, like I'm playing this lineup and I think the casual listener is like, well, wait a minute, that's not what I heard on such and such podcast. Most people are going with this. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. That's why Mike's talking about what he's going to play. So keep that in mind because you can fall into groupthink when everybody starts talking about sort of the same players in the same games to target. And then the last thing I want to point out, take advantage of the fact that there are various slates to play every day, every week. And what I mean by that is you can play the full slate. I play the full slate predominantly as well. But don't be afraid to play, and we've talked about it before, the 1 o'clock slate or the afternoon slate. And just maybe, you know, get different in in a couple of places. Maybe if there's a really chalky game that you know everybody's going to be on, maybe you play that in the full slate. But maybe in the afternoon slate, you decide – Okay, this is where I'm going to get different. I'm going to take a stand with this second or third tier game and I'm just going to stack, you know, these guys instead of the popular one. So don't be afraid to kind of narrow the playing field a little bit and play those because you might find that you're really good at that. You might find that it's very it's a lot easier to be contrarian or a lot easier for you to be contrarian on those slates, perhaps versus the, the full slates.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say we should just make a hard and fast rule not to play any jets ever. See ya, but uh, Braxton Berrios, he he came out. You know, he came through. The the one jet I didn't play. The one (laughs)
2: jet I barely played if at all.
1: Uh, But uh, no, I think it's a fair point. Just like be wary of of those low floor plays, especially on really bad offense. Like those guys are cheap for a reason. We'll, you know, uh, eventually, you know, we'll get one of these Braxton Berrios type plays and, and things will happen like that. But more often than not, I mean, these guys are are pretty cheap for a reason, especially on these uh, very low floor offenses. Mike, I, I thought one of the points you made that, that stood out to me most is something that I also wanted to talk about. And realizing that, again, not all totals are created equally. And it kind of works its way back into not forcing stacks or bringbacks in your lineup just for the sake of it. So if the environment and the pricing is right and it makes sense and it's this huge total and it's a close spread and we expect it to be back and forth and the targets are concentrated on both sides, then sure, 100%, that sounds like a game that you absolutely should be stacking and you should have bringbacks on both sides. But for example, if we have the Buffalo Bills and they have a 28-point team total on a given week, but they're a 14-point favorite, against the New York Jets, which sounds very likely. You don't need to force in an Elijah Moore or a Michael Carter or a Braxton Berrios on the bring back. That spread is that way for a reason. The Bills are expected to score a lot of points. The Jets are expected to not score a lot of points. So I think that, and also with quarterbacks like Josh Allen, that you don't have to force in a stack with him. And we talked about a lot. We talked about that specific thing a lot towards the end of the season where You could play Josh Allen naked, you could play a Jalen Hurts, you could play a Kyler Murray naked because they spread the ball around and they have this huge rushing floor as well. So those two main points I wanted to hit, I don't think that you have to force a stack or a bring back in specific environments.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, In the the example you gave is correct. Uh, That is an example of one, unless there's just like an isolated situation where we know that the targets go to one player, then it obviously makes sense. But just forcing a stack because you have someone in the game, while that you you know, and that might have used to have been a strategy that worked uh, across the board. It's one that is still relatively well known now, to the point that it's overused. Um, so I, I definitely agree with you that you have to be very careful when you're forcing the bring back.
1: All right, the last point I wanted to make here, one more lesson, a goal of mine this season specifically was to build my bankroll throughout the year playing higher priced uh cash games. And, and and that's something that I did especially in the second half of the season. It was uh mostly a success and looking back over those lineups and th- this was a point that Mike hit on uh, very often throughout the point uh the course of the season, spending up for these target hog wide receivers, spending down, maybe eating the chalk on lower to mid-tier running backs. I think it worked out Tremendously in cash games and I think more often than not people will just associate high-priced running backs with cash games because they have a higher floor. Obviously, they're touching the ball as much as they are guys like Jonathan Taylor and Derek Henry, but the trade-off is you spend up for those running backs, then you have to hit either the low or mid tier at wide receiver. And that just isn't as profitable, especially on a site like DraftKings where it's full point PPR and you have guys like Cooper Cup going out and getting double digit targets and double digit receptions. So pairing those wide receivers, those target hogs, with high priced quarterbacks who are going to run and give you that safe floor and mid uh, low to mid tier chalk running backs, you know, guys that are filling in that week, whatever, uh, for someone who's out, whatever it might be. See, I found that for me that was the most profitable strategy in cash games this season. I don't know if it's going to be moving forward, but obviously that will depend on the slate and pricing. But that's what I noticed this past season.
2: Yeah, that'll probably be the strategy moving forward too. I mean, I think, it, you know, you know, unfortunately it's it's not necessarily, for me it's not a hard and fast rule because obviously it's like matchup dependent and sure. slate dependent. But I, I absolutely agree. I mean, you know, just to like strip it down to something really, really simple. the The idea that you're going to get like, eight to 11 targets for like a, a premier receiver down the field, presumably ver- versus let's say 14 to 17 targets behind the backfield. And you're not even getting the reception for it. You're, it it's a handoff. So you're not getting that, that point in there. I mean, it, 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 it lends it, especially considering this is like a passing league. Now it really lends itself to the idea that like, yeah, of course it makes sense to assume the volume of the receiver, especially since that receiver is getting a point on DraftKings versus the volume that we know we're going to get with the, with the running back who's not going to get that point for the for the carry. So, yeah, they get like a lot of the goal line work, and and that's team dependent and matchup dependent, of course. And touchdowns can be kind of fluky anyway. But I I absolutely agree. I mean I'm I'm definitely with Mike and yourself on that. Uh, but I do I'll admit I still do pay up for the Jonathan Taylors of the world when I think the matchup is just too good to pass up.
1: For sure, yeah. It's not like a hard and fast rule by any means, but it's just something, you know, looking back at my lineups today, we would pull up our cash game lineups every single week here. I still have all the screenshots saved, and it just seemed like more often than not, I was spending up for one or multiple wide receivers, you know, hitting that lower to mid-tier at running back, and then also spending up at quarterback, And, and that was the best combination, in my opinion, of floor and ceiling this past season. Go ahead, Mike.
0: Yeah, well, and I think the thing that we need to talk about here on this too is that strategy, it's probably going to be profitable in cash games. It's a really great strategy to make sure you don't lose money playing DFS, if that makes sense. It's going to be difficult to win and take down tournaments that way just because you do get on the chalk running backs and the reason why people want to pay for the running backs and find this super low value wide receivers is because most people pull up a large tournament, go look at the top of the leaderboard and how you win one of those tournaments in most scenarios is you have the best running back, Jonathan Taylor. You're there on his three touchdown, 200 yard game. And you've also hit on the $3,200 wide receiver that catches A touchdown in 100 yards. And that's what people see and want to try and build. So I think you really need to understand what you're trying to build for more than anything. But I will say that, yeah, I'm very confident. And I've talked about it you know, mostly all year that jamming in the target hog wide receivers is a very good way to ensure that you're not going to lose money playing DFS. Like a worst case scenario on, on most weeks is you're likely going to break even uh, in that spot just because you're, you're going to be having that super high floor throughout all those positions. If you're right on those value chalk running backs, you're not getting hurt by them having good days. Um, yeah, I, I think that that's something that needs to be pointed out because like what is talking about, still playing Jonathan Taylor, likely a better strategy if your goal is to go try and win first place in the Millionaire Maker.
1: All right, yeah. This one went longer than I thought, but I think a lot of really valuable information here. So covering all different kinds of bases from betting, uh, Super Bowl futures next year, and of course, uh, DFS strategy as well. Now, this is it, our first season. I think it was a lot of fun here. We, again, appreciate everyone for watching and listening throughout the course of the entire season. You could still find all of us here at the CBS Sports Podcast Network. If you want some golf advice, you'll be able to find Sia on the First Cut Golf Podcast. Betting advice, you'll be able to find both of these guys over at The Early Edge, so subscribe to those podcasts if you haven't already. If you have a hankering for some fantasy baseball content throughout the course of this MLB lockout as we wait for that to conclude, hopefully at some point, uh, you could, of course, find me there as well. For Sia and Mike, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Football Today DFS all season long. Uh, we are going to be back at some point. We will see you then.
2: This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. Did you expect someone else?